Hello and welcome to Primary Sources, a spin-off podcast from the Doctor Who show where we take what fans were saying about Doctor Who in the 80s and the 90s, generally in letters to Doctor Who magazine, and we riff on it. The conversation might stick closely to what's said in the letters or it might go somewhere else entirely. This is podcasting without a safety net. For this episode, I'm joined by Mark from the All of Time and Space podcast. Hello, Mark. Hello, Rob. It's great to have you on the show at last. Well, thank you. It's, it's a great honour to be invited on. Oh, you flatter me, sir. You flatter me. <laughs> Are you intrigued as to what issue of Doctor Who magazine I'm holding in my hands? Intrigued and slightly anxious, yes. Oh, you shouldn't be anxious. I try. And, <laughs> I, I do try and pick magazines that I think might suit people. Oh, it's not going to be a Pertwee <laughs> special, is it? <laughs> no, nothing of the sort. This okay. is Doctor Who magazine number 107 mm-hmm. from December 1985. Price Ooh. 75p. Bargain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it. Okay. This first letter is called Why It Fails. Mm. May I point out my view? of why we now have violent rubbish like Vengeance on Varos and The Two Doctors on a tired and ageing Doctor Who program. It's because there's only a limited number of ways in which 20th century humans in rubber suits pretending to be alien can menace the universe. In fact, we still have these fake aliens from extraterrestrially placed Western human culture doing the same boring old thing, menacing beautiful young girls and trying to conquer the galaxy. I seriously doubt whether the Doctor Who melodrama program will ever show, say, moral or cultural conflict in any really alien cultures and mentalities. Before one quotes TV budgets, some of the most alien minds have been housed in humanoid bodies outside of the Doctor Who program. And why stick at aliens? Ursula Le Guin's Gatharians were a lost human colony, feudal, primitive, and quite different in outlook to 20th century humans in silver casings shouting exterminate. I think and hope, since I'm an avid fan, that Doctor Who can be saved and made a viable program, even if we keep Daleks and Cybermen. But I dare John Nathan Turner to try a moral or cultural conflict involving an alien culture or mentality. Or, if we can't have that, how about an original companion? Say a feudal Japanese, or a Cyberman, or something. A modern witch, a Buddhist priest, a Victorian capitalist, a Roman soldier. The approaches are endless. And that's from an avid Doctor Who fan in Yorkshire. Mm. Well, that's interesting. It's very much a snapshot of that time in the show, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. They they see the show's got to do something to survive, mm-hmm. uh, which it really did. And they seem... It, it's a little confused. I, I, I read it, obviously, before I came on air. Yeah. And they seem to be against things like Daleks and Cybermen and seem to be arguing the case for aliens to be just humanoid because yeah, that might be more, more realistic. Mm-hmm. I mean, are we seeing the start of the woke agenda here, Rob? <laughs> I don't know, Mark, you tell me. I'm not going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no, neither am I. <laughs> no, but it's very telling that they talk about how um, it's it's kind of devolved into Alien X uh, is causing a threat to the, the pretty assistant because obviously we're in the height of 
Perry's time on the on the show, and it does seem like every episode she's being lusted after by an alien or you know mm-hmm. some sort of psycho person being turned into a bird or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, it's um, I can kind of see that angle, but um, yeah, that's very much um, a uh, signature Saywood um, approach to the show. I think we could say <laughs> that's my opinion, anyway. Indeed. What about this little sign-off about companions? I mean, in the modern mm. era, we just seem to have companions from contemporary Earth most of the time. Yeah. I suppose we get conditioned to sort of, since the show came back, it's always, as you say, it's been generally speaking, uh, you know, with one or two exceptions, there's been a modern-day companion. I suppose it's, from a very basic standpoint, it's your entry into the show as a viewer, isn't it? And you need to be able to relate to that character but that said you know you watch some of the Troutons and you know Jamie's a great character um, mm-hmm. although he isn't from our uh, current century he's still a relatable character that said I think uh, JR over when you know during our time on the the blue box podcast he was at pains to say that Jamie starts off as this Highlander and then within a few episodes he's just sort of generic 60s kid in a kill mm. so yeah i guess you know it's tricky isn't it because you it could is. get it horribly wrong couldn't you and just end up with a character that just you can't relate to and yeah it's, it's tough yeah you've you've got to be a very good writer i think to pull it off i mean mm. one of these suggestions is a uh a, a victorian capitalist okay well you'd, you'd have to be a very clever writer to always be finding really interesting ways for that character to be relating to i mean this this letter things. was written at the height of thatcher's power so you know i guess that would have been <laughs> foremost in their mind <laughs> indeed indeed mm. but you know uh, on the flip side of that coin does a modern audience need to have that identification figure are we a bit mm. more sophisticated i just watched squid game for example i keep hearing a lot about that but i've not seen it yet Mm. Do do I need to to know how it feels to be a, a, a Korean, a middle aged Korean in today's society to sort of get the most out of that? No, I don't think so. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the same as I, I don't need a companion to really represent me on Doctor Who. In fact, companions generally haven't because they've been young ladies. Is there uh, something to be said about the emergence of uh, internet availability on various streaming sites and? what have you, where we're being exposed to a much wider um, gamut of programming and movies that we wouldn't necessarily have seen unless we really sought it out in the 80s on video. I think there's a big, there's something in that, yeah. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. so maybe that makes your average viewer taste a little bit more sophisticated than it would have been back in the 80s. I don't know. I think it is, to be quite honest. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, let's crack on, because we've got another letter here called American Fandom. I would like to commend you on the first-rate manner in which the Doctor Who magazine is produced every month. Your articles are wonderful and very informative, as well as entertaining. I especially love your archives, letters, and special interviews. I have to admit, I am disheartened about the comments made about American fandom. And that's in quotation marks. Mm. Not all of us in the American fandom are extremists in our fervor for the good doctor. I think it is about time that an American fan spoke her mind on the matter. The average Who fan in the United States and Canada are adults, 20 to 40 years. 
They don't live and breathe the show and its characters, and we do not want the show to be Americanized. On the contrary, we want it to stay British. That's also in quotation marks. Uh, That is the way it began, and that is the way it should stay. We want the fans in the United Kingdom and other countries who worry that Americans are trying to influence the show in any way to know that we want Doctor Who to stay the way it has always been. Lastly, I would like to say I love the Colin Baker stories very much. My favourite will always be Attack of the Cybermen. And that's from Eleanor J. Qualls, Seattle, Washington. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think from the, the people I speak to who live outside of the UK, I think a lot of the appeal of the show is its Britishness. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think they're they're on the right track there, aren't they? I mean, I can't. It's interesting to see that even back in the 80s and possibly before there there may have been a kind of gatekeeper element of people saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I want these people being fans because they'll want to turn into this or they'll want to turn into that. And I don't know. I think I think just, you know, enjoy it for what it is. Well, this came up in an earlier primary sources, which you're yet to hear because it hasn't aired mm-hmm. yet. But the question of people wanting to make the show American came up as well. And I was saying for the life of me back in this era, because I think that letter was from a similar date to this one. Yeah. Aside from, oh, look, there's Perry. She's an American companion or mm-hmm. at least a pretend American companion. Yeah. Cynthia Bryant isn't actually American. Mm-hmm. Uh, and t would go to conventions and all that sort of thing. I can't think of anything that was particularly trying to make the show American Yet no. there seems to be this fear of it running through a few years of Doctor Who magazine. Well, we had Janet Fielding for several years, didn't we? But I don't think there was ever any kind of suggestion that we were going to turn it into Neighbours or something. Um, no, that's I right. don't know. Um, yeah, I think obviously there was a very distinct intention from JNT to try to appeal to the American audience by introducing this character. But um, I think he, surely he would be savvy enough to know that the big appeal of the show to people who really love it is the, that sort of quintessential British nature of it. Yeah, I mean, could this have been around the time he was saying, oh, I'm going to change the police box, and it was all just a big sort of yeah. know, publicity thing? He was keen to drop these little things into conversations on Saturday Superstore or Swap Shop or whatever it would have been back then, just to sort of whip up a little bit of uh, paper talk. He'd be all over the the tabloid (laughs) papers. And that's, you know, he was a genius at that. Oh, big time. Yeah, and the whole thing about having a female doctor, which was way ahead of its time. So, yeah, I think think he was trying to appeal to the Americans in a way of giving them a kind of relatable character. Although, from what I gather, most Americans I speak to aren't incredibly um, fooled by Perry's accent, has to be said. No. (laughs) (laughs) I love Nicola O'Brien. I think she's really good. I think she, unfortunately, she's saddled with, you know, having to be the screaming girl that has to be rescued from the creature of the week. But I think, you know, she does pretty well with what she's given. Yeah. Yeah. And just going back to females for a moment, when Mm -hmm. I read a lot of these American letters, 
they're often from women in this era, whereas uh-huh. I think of Australian fandom back in the mid to late 80s, and I'm, I'm not sure what UK fandom was like, but I'm, I'm thinking mm-hmm. it might have been similar. It seemed a lot more blokey. The American fandom seemed to be sort of a, a mix, like modern fandom is. But yeah. our fandom was very blokey. Was yours blokey? Oh, well, 1985, I would have been, what, 12 years old then. So mm. I, w- I don't think I was even aware of fandom per se. I mean, I right. had books like The Key to Time by Peter Haining, uh, which was like a quite a, a big deal for me at the time because it opened up this whole world that I wasn't really that aware of. I'd had the program guide. Do you remember that? The John Mark Lefissier program guide. Yeah. Yes. Program guide. Yeah. I had that. And, uh, and that obviously was great because it gave you just the little synopses of the, the various stories that had been before. But in terms of you know, being at school, there were one or two friends that I knew who really liked Doctor Who and we chat about it, but I don't ever really remember it being like a concerted, like a big social thing. We didn't, it's not like we had a Doctor Who society at secondary school or anything like that. It was just, uh, it's quite a solitary experience for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'll look before I joined my local club, it was the same for me. But once Mm -hmm. I did, it seemed to be quite blokey. And even when I moved into the bigger sphere of fandom, you know, uh, women Mm -hmm. were quite rare. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Let's move on with the final letter. This one's called Universal Inconsistencies. Mm. Congratulations on your excellent magazine. I would like to comment on some points which I heard in Slipback on the radio a couple of weeks ago, which seem out of character with the TV series of Doctor Who. In 1983, we learned that because the pilot of Terminus ejected fuel into a void, which exploded, the universe was created. However, in Slipback, we heard that it was the Vorlock Moor, well, at least that's what it sounded like to me, which travelled back in time, but because of an error on the part of the ship's computer, it materialised in some unstable matter which exploded, causing the creation of the universe. Which of these explanations are correct? Or are they both? Another Mm. point concerning Slipback is that the Time Lords, I quote, often criticise the Doctor's interference. Isn't that a little ironic, even hypocritical of them, as they themselves were responsible for the Celestial Intervention Agency and often <laughs> used the Doctor to do their own dirty work for them? One more suggestion. How about doing a survey concerning Doctor Who merchandise, which could be staged over a period of time, in which all the fans, or just simple mortals, could send in a list of every Doctor Who item they have got, and then you could collect in all the numbers print all the items, and then print alongside the number of people in every country or even the world who have got said item. It would serve not only as a useful guide to any Doctor Who items that have ever been, but also fans can see for themselves which items are the most common and which are the rarest. From Simon Harry's Dartford, Kent. And I save this one to last, Mark, because that suggestion has got to be (laughs) utterly insane. (laughs) Wow. I mean... I could be grossly exaggerating this and just, you know, going way over the top with sort of um, generalisations. But is it fair to say that a lot of Doctor Who fans are also very keen on collecting? Yes, and making lists. (laughs) Yes, and making lists. Yes, definitely. So um, I'm all for it. Yeah, let's do it. How many hours have you got in the day to to list all your stuff, Rob? Because you must have an absolute cavalcade. I I do have a lot of stuff. 
Uh, and I'm going to say back in the 80s, there wasn't as much stuff out there. But even then, a list for Doctor Who magazine. Could you imagine mm-hmm. some poor uh, yeah. in, intern or work experience kid at, at DWIM getting these lists? I have <laughs> they list like 50 different things and they've got to somehow compile this into a database. And this is probably way, way before we had like um, sort of computerization of magazines as well. So it would have had to have been all sort of painstakingly laid out and... Can you imagine? <laughs> so that this fella can find out uh, how many people in whatever country own whatever item. Oh, my God. Yeah, it'd be great. Oh, yeah. I'm all for it. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Get on to DWM now. And let's make <laughs> it happen. So strange. <laughs> Moving backwards in the letter, though, slip back. A different interpretation for the beginning of the universe. Did Eric yeah. Saber just forget what happened in Terminus? He was responsible for Terminus. Mm-hmm. Um Yet uh, two different versions. Well, I mean, they're going to be in for a shock later down the line when there's other <laughs> explanations for the Big Bang. So, you know, it's... The, the thing I find with canon is it's quite malleable, isn't it? Over the years, we've had various things that have dropped in that just uh, become cemented into the lore and don't ever change. And then there are other things that just are completely ignored, like the whole... In the TV movie, when Paul McGann says he's half human, that never comes up again, as far as I can recall. Maybe in uh, the uh, the novels, maybe. Yeah, I mean, when you get to to Lungbarrow, there's uh, Mark Platt sort of shoehorned in a a clever little thing there. Uh-huh. But, you know, not trying to be spoilerific. If people want to hear more, hear our uh, Lungbarrow episode. Oh yeah, good means. good plug there, Rob. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Some things mm. become sacrosanct. You cannot change this. Other things out the window, no one cares. Yeah. It makes me wonder what's, you know, maybe in another 20 years' time when we're in our dotage and sort of safely swaddled up in some retirement home, <laughs> we'll be looking back to the big fury over the, the timeless children. And, you know, is that still going to be a massive deal or is it just going to be, oh, yeah, there's that thing they did that one season. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Well, we'll see what plays out in the mm. in the three specials. Uh, I yeah, think that'll end it all off. I uh-huh. assume. Well, who knows? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> the only <laughs> other thing in these letter was uh, time lords and hypocrisy. They uh-huh. get the doctor to do dirty work. The CIA they change history, but then they get a little hypocritical uh, when other people go around changing history. Quick thoughts. Mm. Yeah, I suppose, you know, it's, uh, I think, particularly with uh, Classic Who, if you really analysed it, you you just spend half your time thinking, well, hang on a minute, that completely contradicts what you said in the, the episode before. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I'm easily pleased. I just like to <laughs> sit down, switch off my brain and just enjoy it for what it is. And don't get me wrong, I mean, the whole thing with um, with canon and, and all these, you know, things that potentially contradict each other, it opens up these little pockets for people who are far more creative than me to do things like, you know, f- fan fiction or, you know, fan videos or what have you. And it just, Indeed. I like that. I think, you know, I'm all for it. Let's let's expand it and, and create these little uh, jumping off points and then people can riff on it and come up with their own theories and their own stories. I think that's a lovely note to end on, Mark. Thank you so mm. much for joining us on Primary Sources. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. 